Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. How's it going? Uh, I'm excited to be here. It's show number four, and we're already sort of switching it up here on Jumping Bottom Audio. Excited for uh, a little bit of a different feel today for the show. Yeah, unfortunately, we're being forced to do this because, you know, there's just not a lot of wrestling to talk about. But we're excited to keep doing the show, so we're just going to talk about some old Joshi. I mean, I'm not sure what we're going to do each each episode. We haven't really planned that out yet. We're going to try this, see how it goes, see if people like it, and maybe we'll keep doing it or, or do something else. Who knows what we'll do? The world is our oyster at this point. We could do anything we want. That's right. So today we're largely going to talk about Stardom's very first show from January 23rd of 2011. Uh, we also have a few other notes on uh, some other things that have been going on while everything is shut down. Before we get into it, I want to let you know how you can contact us or keep up with us. We're on Twitter, at JBombAudio. We talked last week about trying to do more tweets, and we really haven't, but there just hasn't been a lot going on. I tweeted a little bit about the Stardom show, so hopefully you all saw that and then watched the show uh, so that you can know what we're talking about on this episode. You can find me. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor is at T.A. Mambo. You can subscribe to the show. Please do get these episodes as soon as they drop, usually on Mondays. And give us a rating and review if you're using the Apple Podcasts app. Uh, if you'd like to donate, you can go to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. So usually at the start of these shows, we would run down the news that's going on in the world of Joshi. But there's just no news, Taylor. So I guess I'll just ask what's going on with you. Uh, just, just about the same old, same old still, uh, in my house. There have been some, uh, Joshi shows happening, some limited shows, no audience shows, but there have been a few shows, uh, the Ice Ribbon, uh, or I should say Ice Ribbon has been running shows from their dojo, uh, weekly. They just had one on Saturday, uh, with a few matches, and excitingly, they actually had, I don't know if I would call it English commentary, but they sort of had English... Um, interjections, I guess I would say. They had Thecla and Yappy giving some English um, context to the matches, what was going on, and who the wrestlers were. So if you've been uh, a bit nervous to get into Ice Ribbon because of the language barrier, you should definitely check out that show, which has the English on it, and is available for free on their YouTube, totally free. You don't have to sign up for their uh, Nico Pro uh, channel to watch this. It's available for free on YouTube. Uh, Chaco Pro has been running some shows. That's on the Gato Move YouTube channel for free. Those have been a lot of fun. They're very quick. They usually have two or three matches and then some sort of non-wrestling related activity, whether it's Junkin 
or uh, they had an interview with Masato Tanaka about FMW on the most recent Chaco Pro. Those are a lot of fun. They last around an hour or so, so not a big time commitment. And then there's been a lot of companies uploading sort of vintage uh, shows and matches. Wave has been, they uploaded the entirety of their 2016 Catch the Wave tournament, which is a big tournament that they hold every year, uh, often with people from within and outside of the promotion. So 2016 has a lot of big names, Tsukasa Fujimoto, uh, Seri, um, Makoto, lots of people. It's up all on YouTube, all the blocks, so you can either watch it in whatever order you want. I've actually been watching those shows by going on Cage Match and following along with with each show in order. That's been a lot of fun. And Oz Academy started a YouTube, or they had a YouTube, and now they're going to use it a little bit more often. They've been uploading some older matches from their archive, so that's exciting as well. So still a good amount of wrestling to watch. Some of it is not current and not happening live, but still um, a good amount to watch in the world of Joshi. We've discussed somewhat maybe watching uh, these Catch the Wave shows, talking about them on the show. So that's a possibility and something we might do in the future. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. It's definitely something that whether we cover it or not on the show, I would highly recommend that people check them out. The matches are not super long. Usually uh, they have a 15-minute time limit, so 15 minutes is the longest, but some of them last as short as four or five minutes So it's very easy to sit down if you've only got 30 minutes or you've got 45 minutes, sit down, watch two or three matches, and then, you know, come back to it later. So I highly recommend it. We may do it on the show uh, because there's a lot of super fun stuff in that tournament. Um, But either way, definitely worth checking out. Well, you mentioned Sari. I guess one news item is, of course, WWE is cutting a bunch of people. They didn't cut... Sorry, but you have to wonder, there was a report in Tokyo Sports about whether NXT Japan is is still in the offing, and uh, I did see that Sari, I guess, is going to do Japanese commentary on SmackDown, but you have to wonder if someone like her is, uh, is not long for that world. She hasn't even reported yet, of course. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. There was a lot of talk about, I don't know if she's signed to a contract, so I don't know if they as they were doing these releases, if they would even have to say, oh, we're releasing Sari. I don't know if she signed to a contract or she has some agreement where they would have to actually announce that they're letting her out of this agreement. The fact that she is commentating on these SmackDown episodes makes me feel that there's still something, there's still some connection there. I don't know. Maybe they bring her in after this and she ends up just doing... NXT proper or the Largo loop or whatever she does. It's a bit, uh, as a lot of things are, it's a bit up in the air at this point. I did see just some tweets earlier today that I guess they're planning to do another May Young Classic. So you can imagine, obviously a, a huge thing earlier for Sari was her being prohibited from doing a May Young Classic, which led to her uh, being in Diana most recently. So you can imagine her being at least brought in to do Mae Young Classic and then that being something she really wants to do. 
Yeah, she was she was wanted for the first one. She couldn't get out of her contract, so she um, didn't end up appearing. But usually they like to have a lot of international talent, so I could see her appearing in the third one if they're still interested in her and they're just going to bring her in for the uh, just regular, I guess, quote-unquote regular NXT. But that's basically the... Uh... That's all the news that I've really seen <laughs> that's, uh, that's relevant to Joshi. So there you go. A short discussion on, is Sari going to WWE? I mean, they've never announced signing her, I don't believe. So I think the original plan was she was going to come in March or they were going to announce her in March. And obviously with everything going on, that never happened. I think it was her and Ikemanjiro were on the same path where I think they were both going to be announced at the same time, which was going to be March, and then all this stuff happened, and they've probably just, you know... I would imagine, at the very least, they called her and said, you know, everything's happening, we're putting it on hold, and we'll announce you whenever they announce their next class, which who knows when that will be at this point. Yeah, I believe Jiro has started selling merch again, or something. He's doing something that leads you to believe there's not actually pen to paper on a WWE contract. Okay, well, let's talk about the the first stardom show, Birth of Nova, which happened at Shinkiba First Ring back, as I said, on January 23rd, 2011. Before we get into it, Taylor, had you seen this show before we watched it uh, to talk about it here? I had never seen this show before, so I got into stardom at the tail end of 2015. So I had seen some sort of individual matches from that year. Um, and then obviously moving forward, I've seen most of the shows, but anything really before 2015, I have not seen really any of. Yeah, I think I said, I think it was on this show. I said it was later for me that I got into stardom. So I, I, I haven't seen a lot of this stuff, which was fun because it was uh, new to me and I didn't even check the results, you know, before I watched. So some of the, uh, Specifically, one of the finishes was surprising to me, so that was fun. But knowing, I mean, there are several people on this show that I that I was uh, that are still around, you know, that are still working, so you see them. But it's just fascinating to me that there are what two people on this show that are still affiliated with Stardom. Yeah, you know, Joshi is always interesting in that people can. It's sort of the the most unpredictable world in terms of longevity of any of the wrestlers. You know, people, some people like, uh, you know, Mako Satomura could stay around for, at this point, what has it been, 25 years. And some people may last, you know, just a few months and then never be heard from again. So it's really um, unpredictable. And even some of the people on this show who you know, current stardom watchers may know haven't been with stardom the entire time. Arisa left at one point. Uh, Yoko Bito, who isn't with stardom anymore, was with stardom, left and came back and then retired again. So it's sort of um, an unpredictable world in terms of watching these old shows and seeing people who are still around today. Right. And there's only, well, I mean, we've touched on this, but one of the matches is Mayu Iwatani versus Arisa Hoshiki. And of course, they're still wrestling with stardom. Uh, like you said, Arisa was gone for a bit. But other than that, there's what, 
two people who are still active wrestlers, Nanai Takahashi and Yoshiko? Uh, yes, and uh, Natsuki is technically retired, but she refs for Seedling, and she often gets involved in their high-speed matches, so she's technically not a wrestler, but she is still around and sort of in the world of Joshi, even though she's just, you know, she largely just referees those high-speed matches in Seedling. So well, let's talk a little bit about how Stardom came to be formed. So Oga- Rossi Ogawa is the guy who runs Start. Well, I don't really know what Rossi's role is <laughs> as of today. He ran Stardom for a long time. Of course, Bushi Road purchased Stardom uh, back during uh, at least December of last year, and they kind of put some new people in charge of it. But it seems like Rossi is still the booker. At least, as best I can tell. Would you agree with that, Taylor? Yeah, I think at the very minimum, he's still booking. And I think when the everything was bought, I think there was some question about what his role was going to be. And I think it came out, I think someone said, I don't remember who it was, said that Rossi was still going to be booking. I don't know if he has some input from someone in Bushi Road who's overseeing or if he does it by himself. But he is still involved somewhat, somehow, in the day-to-day of stardom. I think the original Dave Meltzer reporting was that Rossi would be the CEO of stardom, but who knows what exactly that means. Uh, but Rossi, if you're, if you're not familiar, was a photographer for All Japan Women's uh, back in the day. And after that, he, he was involved in a couple of other promotions. Um, the last one was the JD Star promotion. The last one before stardom was JD Star. And it's kind of where you start to see this idea from him of, well, you see throughout his everything that he's done, really. But this the real idea of the models as wrestlers, basically, which is how stardom ultimately begins, right? Yes, and J.D. Starr was a little bit more, I think stardom sort of, and we'll talk about it in a bit as we sort of go through the ramp up to their first event, but... J.D. Starr was very out front with the fact that they were recruiting sort of these attractive people to be the wrestlers. You know, it was part of their um, they sort of talked about it as combining athlete and actress um, into one in this wrestling promotion. And I think, you know, that didn't do well because I think people rejected the fact that they were so blatantly out there saying, hey, we're out here recruiting, you know, people who, you know, sort of actress types for this wrestling promotion. Whereas in stardom, a lot of the people they started with had some sort of sports background. You know, they may still have that aspect of you know, attractiveness that they were looking for in JD star, but there are a lot of people who had at least some sort of background in a, I guess, quote unquote, fighting sport as you know, we'll talk about in a minute. So yeah, JD star was sort of the predecessor of stardom, sort of the same mindset in terms of the people that they were looking for. They just decided to be a little more subtle as it came to stardom. Uh, So it's September, 2010, is when we first found out that stardom was going to um, exist. Yeah, so um, Fuka, who had wrestled um, in JD Star and had known Rossi, was was training a model 
uh, Yuzuki Aikawa, um, who was a model, and Fuka had begun to train her for wrestling, and Rossi came to her and said, oh, you're training this person, this well-known model. We should start a promotion. So the promotion was really started as a showcase for uh, Yuzuki Aikawa, who Fuka was training. So that was really the main um, thrust of the promotion when they started. They obviously then brought in Nanai Takahashi, who had trained in all Japan. She had sort of come around, been a rookie in, I believe, 96, which is right near the tail end because in 97, um, all Japan hit financial trouble and they lasted for, you know, a little less than a decade more, but it was sort of a slow downslope for them. Actually, Takahashi was the last winner of their top title in all Japan and actually handed it over to the owners on the last show after she won it. Um, but it was a bit of a, a strange time for Joshi um, in the mid two thousands, actually from 2004 to 2008, Tokyo sports does their annual awards every year uh, for, you know, best match and wrestler and things like that. They actually didn't give it to anyone in Joshi from 2004 to 2008 because they said that there weren't any worthy candidates uh, to win the award. And then you saw All Japan shut down and you saw Gaia Girls shut down in the middle of the 2000s. And then close to the end of the 2000s was sort of the uh, beginnings of a lot of the promotions we know now in 2006 ice ribbon started and in 2007 sendai started and then oz academy was happening and so uh, nanai takahashi had been a freelancer since the closure of all japan she had gone around she actually started her own promotion called pro wrestling sun which was um affiliated with um, Zero One, the male, the men's promotion Zero One. Uh, not a lot happened there. It wasn't super successful. And so Takahashi started a sort of freelance unit uh, called Passion Red uh, with a bunch of people. But the most important for our story is Nasuki Tayo, who has sort of become synonymous with Nanai. They've now traveled around for the last 15 years everywhere. They're now both in Seedling. But Nanai was brought in as sort of a player manager for the roster. She brought along Tayo. So really the big three were Ogawa, Fuka, and Takahashi at the beginning. They were all at the first press conference to announce the new promotion stardom. And the other people that uh, were there at the very first press conference, so from the beginning, Arisa Hoshki, who we talked about, who you were mentioning, you know, that there's this this mix of athletes that they were trying to bring in. And uh, she, of course, Arisa has a, a background in amateur shoot kickboxing, which really works now that they're affiliated with Kicks Road under Bushi Road. She could maybe just start doing some uh, some kickboxing matches. Uh, Eri Susa, who we'll see on this show, Mayui Watani. Yoko Bito, who has a karate background. Uh, Yoshiko, who, if you're listening to this, you probably know about him. We talked about on the last episode. And Haruka, the eight-year-old monster. Yes, who has um, didn't have a, a long career, but is most famously known, is probably known worldwide in the world of wrestling for being 
uh, Kenny Omega's opponent in the, I guess, how you view it, the infamous match against the child, Kenny Omega against that child. That child was Haruka, who was eight, wrestled for eight months um, in 2011, and then has not been seen since, but I guess could come back. She's only now at this point 18 years old. Uh, exactly. So I guess could emerge at any time. We got to find out what Haruka is up to. I feel like that's really important. Yeah, and a lot of young... Um, Haruka is obviously the the very youngest of everyone on the show, but a lot of young people on the show, I mean, Yoshiko, very young. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a, you know, sort of in the tradition of Joshi, a lot of young, young talent, allowing them many years to train and learn and, and get better. If you look at this roster right here, I mean, if you imagine all these people had stuck together all this time, it's like a hell of a collection of talent, really, between Takahashi, Hoshiki, Iwatani, Yoshiko, uh, and then you add in Yusuke Aikawa, and you know pretty quickly after this, uh, Kairi Hojo and Io Shirai join. I mean, it's uh, it's an impressive roster right from the beginning. Yeah, and Takahashi was very hot at that moment. She actually won, so the uh, Tokyo Sports Awards. For the women came back in 2009, they gave it to Emi Sakura, who at that point was in Ice Ribbon. Um, and 2010, actually, Nanai won um, best, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what the award is called, but best female wrestler, best Joshi wrestler. So she was um, very hot at that moment. She was wrestling in a lot of places. She actually, as late as December of 2010, was part of the Ice Ribbon Tag Champs in Ice Ribbon, because she wrestled there a lot, um, starting way back near the beginning of that promotion in 2006. So she was wrestling a lot of places, was very well known, and obviously still today is talented, but back then, you know, incredibly talented, as we'll talk about in a few minutes once we get to the show. We haven't even mentioned Mika Nagano, who was also on the show, who had come over from MMA, who was there uh, with the initial roster, but we'll talk about her. As we get into it. So at that first press conference, Yusuke Akawa asked Nanai Takahashi to uh, face her in her debut match. And that happened the next month, October 2010. The best I can tell, Akawa had trained for about six months before this match. That was the total of her of her training. And we talked about Fuka, but I don't want to erase that apparently Nosawa Rangai also involved in the training of Yusuke Akawa. Yeah, still way back then. Now the uh, booker of Noah doing a lot of exciting things there. And um, look, I don't know who, I don't know what percentage credit you give to each person, but um, as we'll talk about in a second, he did a good job. So another bonus point for one of the all-time um, Japanese greats, Nosawa Rangai. So let's talk about this debut match then that leads us up to the, the first show. Um, if you want to talk about it here, but I, I mean, this seems to be the most. Yeah, yeah. The best place to talk about it. So we get this match. Uh, it's about 14 minutes long. Like I said, six months of training for Aikawa before the match. And it's frankly outrageously good for someone having a debut match. 
Yeah, I went in largely expecting it to be a sort of, maybe not a squash match, but a very one-sided match. Maybe Aikawa would get a little bit of offense in the middle and then be put down. But it was a it was a fairly, to me, a 50-50 match. There were some near falls uh, with T- Takahashi almost being pinned that I sort of bit on. So to me... It was great. I thought it was amazing and um, a really, really great match, really well put together. And you can see in a way uh, sort of the the basis of stardom. A lot of, you know, a lot of current stardom wrestlers have very strong kicks. And that starts right here with Aikawa, whose main sort of offensive arsenal is those kicks she's able to do. She's obviously got... You know, she's able to kick almost like up to her head, which is really amazing the first time you see it. But six after six months of training, very good, excellent match. Um, Takahashi was totally the right person to have her first match with, and I thought it was great. And we're checking out. We linked to it on our Twitter. It's just a YouTube um, link, a YouTube video. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend going to check out this match. This happened on just a Yusuke Hakawa produce show. Very uh, interesting that for her first match, she can just put on her own show. So pretty cool. That was at Shinkiba first ring. Uh, also on the card, Haley Hatred, Ohio's own. Yeah, that's right. Um, who was a, <laughs> she was a um, Joshi staple for a little bit. I know that she wrestled in a number of companies over there before she retired. So yes, Ohio's own. I knew Taylor would like that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, great match. Had to get people excited about the the start of, of stardom. Now, I went around reading some things about this match just because, you know, I wanted to see uh, what other people thought about it. And from uh, Aikawa's Wikipedia, I was linked to a few uh, articles about it. But this takeaway was surprising to me as far as what's, how some people uh, viewed the match. And this is what our Wikipedia says. After a 14-minute beatdown, Takahashi pinned Aikawa for the win and afterwards declared that since her opponent, now with her left eye swollen shut and with a severely bruised face and chest, had withstood the punishment, she had paid her dues and was ready to become a true professional wrestler. Just That's just not what I saw in this match. You said it was kind of seemed more like a 50-50 match. I don't recall her eye being swollen shut. I mean, you could see her, and we'll talk about it in the, the tag match that opens the, the first stardom show, but you can see her kind of get tired of, of Takahashi slapping the shit out of her. So, you know, which kind of understandable. It probably hasn't happened a lot to her as a, uh, as a model. Um, but I didn't, it didn't seem like, it certainly didn't look like the ghastly match, like how, how they came out of that or... Uh, like when Bob Holly beat the shit out of that, uh, the one guy on Tough Enough, if you recall that. <laughs> didn't expect to talk about Bob Holly on the show. <laughs> uh, but it didn't look like that. So I don't know if this was just like they were working this to uh, to make her seem tougher. You know, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. And I don't know if part of it is that I, you know, Takahashi after wrestling for at this point, it had been 15 years or so that. You know, when she takes a beating, she's better at hiding it. Where Aikawa, this is her first match when she's hurting or she gets hit. 
you know, it's a little bit harder for her to act tough. I don't know if it's part of, you know, oh, Takahashi's very tough. So even though she takes a lot of the offense more than either of us probably thought she would, that she's tough enough that she can just sort of shake it off. Um, obviously, she wins the match. So sorry, spoilers to someone who hasn't watched it yet. But Yikes, yikes. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, but... So maybe that's part of, maybe that's part of it in terms of having, you know, sort of the you know, the senpai be end the match sort of still strong even though she took more of a beating than maybe some people thought she would. That same month Aikawa released a biography. So I mean she's really like peaking as as stardom opens. Yeah, and I think part of it is they were clearly building this promotion around her and i think that's part of why in the match to go back to the match briefly i think that's part of the reason why it wasn't an extended swash i think they needed to establish her right off the bat as someone who maybe isn't at that top level and can beat someone like takahashi but can go with her one-on-one take a beating and stand up and say you know I'm good enough. I'm not just a rookie who you're going to come out here and beat in six minutes or seven minutes. I'm someone, you know, who can stand toe to toe with you for some point. I still have room for growth and I can get better. But, you know, if they want to draw you in with this person, it can't be someone who's going to lose every match and is going to be a pushover. So it's that releasing the, you know, releasing this book, which I think they had a signing for. Um, where you could come get your book signed and meet Aikawa. So definitely pushed as the um, sort of ace, maybe not the ace, but the up-and-coming ace of stardom to begin with. I should probably think about this more instead of just saying it, but maybe the best debut match I've ever seen. Ooh, yeah, I would have to think more about that. Um because that's, that's a lot of matches going back to think about <laughs> right. everyone's debut. But it's definitely up there at the very worst. Almost certainly in Joshi since everybody kind of starts really young and in most most of the way. Um, so usually you've had a lot of matches before you get this good. I mean, I can think of like, I can't remember exactly what her debut match was. But like Utami was very good very early. But I mean, this is like a legitimately good match. For, yeah, I for went I thought was very first match. Yeah, I thought it was four st- I went four stars on it. I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was really good. And maybe part of that is that I went in not really expecting much. Um and I went in sort of expecting the usual sort of oh this is a rookie and this is a veteran squash. And that's not what happened, but yeah. If it's not if it's not at the top, it's very close to the top for me. It's it's really really good. And it makes me think about the pressure that she almost had to be under. I mean, this match had to be really good. She had to work for the promotion to work. So, I mean, I have no idea, but it seems like that would be a pressure-filled situation. Yeah, and I think you, of course, then also have the pressure of your a rookie having your first match. I think that there's pressure. Right. Even without any of that stuff, even if you're just some rookie who, oh, we're throwing you out here to debut, you still have the pressure of, oh, I have my first match. I've never done this before in front of an audience. What happens if I mess something up or do something wrong? So, yeah, definitely performing under a lot of pressure and doing very well. So in the next month, they had the first stardom protests. 
Uh, Haruka, this is so funny. So Haruka, Mayu Iwatani, Yoko Bido, and Yoshiko passed. Arisa Hoshiki and uh, Eri Susa failed. How much do you feel if the eight-year-old passes and you don't? Now, I don't know. I don't know if maybe they were like, you're eight. So because they had, I read an article that said it was something like you had to do a hundred push-ups, a hundred sit-ups. It was some measure of you had to do a hundred of this, a hundred of that. You had to do squats or something. And then you had to spar for five minutes. Now, I don't know if they went to the eight-year-old and they said, you know, okay, you only have to do this this much. I don't I don't know if that's the case or if they, you know, just said, oh, we just need you to do the following things because you're an eight-year-old child. But yes, um, I think he wouldn't feel great. Also, I think it was open to people to come watch or at least some sort of reporters or someone was there because I read something about the person who went and watched um, and talked about it. But yeah, it wouldn't be a great feeling for the eight-year-old to uh, lap you in in the test. Also in November 2010, uh, Neo Women's Wrestling closed, and this is just important. Uh, if you, even if you still watch Stardom today, uh, the Neo High Speed title was taken over by Stardom because Natsuki Tayo was the champion at the time. Yeah, Neo had been a promotion that had been around for a while. They had a few slightly different names. They went by Neo Ladies or something like that at one point. They actually, at one point, were going to change their name to New Japan Wrestling, um, but decided against that because <laughs> there's another promotion called uh, New Japan Wrestling. Uh, yeah, so I've heard of them. They didn't Weird. do that. Neo was a promotion where a lot of people, I mean, it was a well-known, well-liked promotion, um, but it was one of those things where one of the big problems sort of during the sort of the 2000 to 2010 period, I guess I'll call it that decade um, was that a lot of these promotions were really struggling to create new talent. They were relying a lot on veterans and they were getting to the point where a lot of these veterans were retiring and there weren't, there weren't a lot of people to replace them. Um, and that was the case with Neo who was losing wrestlers for retirement and weren't able to replace them with any sort of new trainees or anything like that. One of the big things about stardom when they announced were that they were talking a lot about training new wrestlers, um, getting new blood in, not just relying solely on. Now they have a few veterans on this card, as we know, Takahashi and Tayo, but there was a lot of talk because a lot of promotions had struggled with creating new talent that Stardom was going to really focus on finding, creating, developing new talent. So, yes, Neo closed. They had a high-speed title, which was taken over by Stardom and obviously still exists today. It's true, of course, that Tayo was a veteran at this time. But it's funny that you say that because she would have been like 26, you know. <laughs> so... <laughs> Still uh, very young. Uh, so December 2010, we got the second stardom protest. Arisa passed this time. Uh, big shouts to the unlimited dream navigator. And uh, unfortunately, Ari Sousa failed for a second time. Yeah, not not looking good for Ari Sousa um, <laughs> failing her second test um, a month or slightly over a month before the first show is going to happen. So sort of running out of time at this point. 
Yes. So then we saw at a uh, Jules Corican Hall show. I'm not familiar with Jules. Is this, a, is this a promotion? So Jules is a sort of independent MMA. I don't know if it's MMA uh, or grappling or whatever they would call it, but it's it's sort of a lower level um, MMA promotion, I guess you would call it. So Yoko Bito and Fuka did a demonstration at a, a Jules show at Corican Hall. And uh, Mika Nagano competed in a tournament. So I guess this was, she was an MMA fighter. I guess this was actually an MMA or grappling tournament. Yes. Uh, but she yeah. ultimately lost in the second round. Yeah, she, um, Mika Nagano was interesting because she had started in 2009 in Ice Ribbon. Um, with a, There was a group of MMA fighters um, who started in start or started in Ice Ribbon. They were trained and they were going to debut, and the plan was for them to do both Ice Ribbon and MMA. Um, Mika was one of those people. I believe she had one match um, in Ice Ribbon. She had a match on a Fuka Produce show, which was a grappling match, so it wasn't really a wrestling match. She had one match in Ice Ribbon and then left. Um, largely that MMA, that contingent of MMA wrestlers crossing over to ice ribbon was pretty much a failure. I believe um, my Ichii was really the only one. I think there were three or four of them and my Ichii was the only one who had any sort of extended time in wrestling. I think Mika had one match and two or three of the other women had one match and left, but she still competed in MMA. She knew, I think she knew Fuka from that Fuka Purdue show who then brought her in for stardom, sort of a retry of this, you know, doing MMA and wrestling at the same time. And then before December was out, Ari Sousa gets one last chance, final protest, and she passed. Of course, apparently it was a uh, close call. Uh, Rossi Ogawa stated at the time, overall, she passed the test, but it's neither good nor bad. <laughs> Yeah, not a great, not a great <laughs> sign to pass and have the, you know, promoter be like, well, I guess she passed, you know, you get sort of a, <laughs> C, you know, like a C minus. Well, you didn't fail, but you, you know, you, you, you passed, I guess. Uh, so not and a moving not, in. Yeah. And then moving into January, we finally got a card announcement on January 11th. And then we run right into the show on January 23rd. So now if you weren't familiar, you know at least a little bit about almost everyone on this card uh, just from what we've talked about so far. So let's get into the card. Uh, 466 fans showed up at Shinkiva First Ring, which is pretty much a full house, I would say. So good good start to the for the company. Yeah, certainly a nice house. I don't even know what the full capacity of Shinkiba is I feel like I always see different numbers but I think it's somewhere around 500 or so so 466 is a very good number the crowd was very into the show so yes you know definitely a good crowd um for their first show well when I was now the setup looks a little different then than it is now uh when I was there in January, the show, according to Cage Master, the show I was at had 408 fans, and it felt uh, pretty damn full. But apparently the next night, Stardom drew 453 in the same building. I'm not sure where they put all those people. 
But so yeah, I would say 450 to 500 is probably uh, the most you could possibly fit in there. Yeah. So the, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Taylor. Yeah, I I was going to say I feel like I've seen some somewhere someone announced something like 550 or 600 in Shinkiba, but I have no idea where you. No would. way. I guess you could put more rows of chairs on the floor, but I mean, it would be like yeah. really cramming people in, but I don't even remember what promotion it is. And some promotions are, you know, sort of goose in the numbers. So it may have been, right. you know, just making themselves feel good. So this is, this was not like what you would expect from a, a normal Joshi show in that you kind of start out with some rookies or, you know, a little comedy or something fun. They got right into it on this show. So the first match, uh, Natsuki Tayo and Yusuke Aikawa versus Iris and Nanae Takahashi. Ultimately, uh, Nanae pinned Yuzuki. So they kind of continued over from the debut match, uh, Nanae pinning Yuzuki again. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to start out very, con- I guess, maybe not controversial. I don't know, Aaron, how much you love the match. I thought this match was incredible, and I gave it five stars. Wow, five stars. Um, I thought it was amazing. I mean, it is, as you said, very unlike if you're used to seeing current stardom. It's very unlike what you would expect from the first match on a stardom card. Usually you're talking about in current stardom, you're talking about a match that is between two of the lower level wrestlers that lasts three or four minutes. I believe this one went something like 22 minutes or something around there. Uh, I just thought it was incredible, you know, just sort of started some feeling out. But once they got going, I mean, they were going and they were, everyone seemed to be just wailing on each other. There was at one point, Aikawa kicked Nanai in the face, uh, which looked like it was just someone kicking someone else in the face. It was with her sole of her foot. Um, <laughs> she was sitting on the on the turnbuckles and she just kicked her right in the face. And I was like, whoa. And there was another one where Tayo and Aikawa did a combined um, power bomb. Well, first Aikawa kicked Nanai in the head, which gave such an incredible thump. And then Tayo just dropped her with this power bomb. Um, it just looked like all of Aikawa's kicks. Now, I don't know if this is just me sort of buying into what was happening. It seemed like Aikawa was sort of, only, she's only at this point, what now, eight months into her training and her quote unquote career at this point, only her second match. I mean, some of those kicks looked like they were not held back at all. It looked like she was just going around kicking people and they're standing in the ring. They're slapping each other. Um, it was just hard hitting a lot of near falls, uh, people flying in from off the screen to make some saves. So I just thought it was incredible. <laughs> and I kept going. I was watching the match. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I think I would give this like four and a half stars. And then there was like still like four more minutes of people just beating on each other. And I was like, yeah, this is like four and three fours. And then at the end it ended. And I was like, that was a five star match for me. That it, I mean, it's incredible. I loved it. Aaron, what did you think? Well, I, I thought I was going to be like gushing about the match. I, I did not think it was a five star match. I'd probably go about four and a quarter or so, which is high for me. I'm a very like low, uh, AKA accurate star Raider, but 
it's just you got poor little Iris in here, who's probably 16 years old at the time. She worked like, uh, according to Cage Match, six matches in her entire career, and so pretty green has some issues. I thought even early in the match, Aikawa had like some issues as far as getting going. So that brought it down a little for me. But you're absolutely right. Once it gets going, it's crazy. Uh, especially there's like some some spots between Nanae and, and Tayo and they're like uh, forearming the shit out of each other. That was awesome. Honestly, I thought Iris was pretty good based on like the amount of experience that she had. You had a lot of cool like athletic stuff from Tayo. Um, I thought they did a really good job of kind of protecting Iris and even Aikawa, um, you know, and letting Nanae and Tayo take a lot of the uh, a lot of the the space that was needed. But that the closing stretch when Nanae and Yusuke like really got into it, and you saw Aikawa get tired of getting slapped and start to kind of like pull away as the slap was coming, and then Nanae just held her and slapped the fuck out of her. <laughs> it really cracked me up. But it's like this. It's also just the wrestling I like. Where maybe you're right that that Aikawa was just kicking the shit out of people, but that's. Maybe it's maybe it's wrong of me, uh, but I just like when people are hitting each other hard. I think that's fun. So this was fast-paced and hard-hitting, which is basically all I ask for in a wrestling match. Yeah, and I will say about Iris, the match started, and I a little bit was like, uh-oh, because I think at this point she had had two matches in Mexico, and she had debuted in February of 2010. She had had two matches in Mexico and then had come. I don't even know how she got connected with um, stardom. I don't know how any of that happened, but she was very green. And to me, it showed early on. I think there was one time when she went to run the ropes and as she bounced off the ropes, she like gave herself whiplash Um like her head went back and I was like, ooh, gosh. So I was a little bit worried about that at the beginning, but I felt like as the match got better, Iris sort of, it, it felt sort of like the other three were like, okay, you can come in like occasionally, but come in occasionally and then like just go outside and hang outside of the ring. <laughs> and it was really the three of them. It was Tayo, Aikawa, and Takahashi doing, I would say at least 80% of, you know, the bulk of the work in this match, of the good work. And Iris would come in, she'd make, you know, she would make a save on a pin or something, and then she would have, you know, a couple moves, and then she'd be right back out. Um, not even in the way that, you know, late in the match, you know, you're going for the pin, and the other person breaks it up, and then your partner sort of throws the person out of the ring to get them out. She would just sort of come in, save it, and then she would just sort of leave the match. She would walk out and then she would wait for, you know, whatever her next thing to do was. So I really think once they got out of that initial, I do agree it was a little bit of initial awkwardness, especially when it's Aikawa versus Iris, two people who had a combined at that point three matches of experience. Um once they got out of that, it really clicked into gear. And as I said, definitely worth, if you haven't watched the show, if you're just listening along, um, stop what you're doing now, pause the show, come back later, go watch the match and then come back. Absolutely. It was definitely the best match on the show 
for me. Oh yeah, without with not even close. Okay, I think I've figured out how Iris ended up on this show. Iris's very first match, according to what I can find online, February 28, 2010, in Mexico, and Fuka is on the show. So, oh. Hmm. In the main event, Fuka, I can never pronounce this person's name, Princesa Su... Oh, yes. Um, Su- just go for Su- it. Gay- Sugehit. <laughs> That's not it. But you know, everybody knows who I'm talking about. Look, this isn't a lucha. Uh, it's not a lucha podcast. <laughs> We're not responsible for the, <laughs> not responsible for right. that. Exactly. Who still uh who still hangs around in Joshi from time to time. Yeah. Uh defeated Dark Angel and Raven Hiroka. But the, the point is Fuka was on a show on uh for Iris's very first match. Well, there you go. That's that's the connection. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she had a really great blow away match on that show. It seems unlikely, but <laughs> it does. It does. It does seem unlikely, but you know, maybe. Um, but anyway, she was on that show, so that's probably how Fuka saw her and decided to bring her over to Japan at like 16 years old or whatever to uh, wrestle in stardom. And I guess she had so much fun that she quit forever. <laughs> so. <laughs> There you go. That's uh, that's Joshi for you. All right. So getting back, the the next match on the show, Mika Nagano versus Eri Susa. This is like, I love this match in that. Uh, so Nagano wins with a, with a cross arm breaker, but it's like MMA fighter. She's in her like MMA gear. Nagano is, and Eri Susa is like a, is dressed like a schoolgirl. It's just like a fucking hilarious dichotomy between these two. <laughs> and and Susa before the match, I mean, maybe because she failed two protests, looks insanely nervous. I mean, she looks terrified going into this match. Yeah, it's definitely a uh, definitely very different looks between the two of them. One looking very serious. I mean, I'm sure Nagano just wore whatever she wears when she fights MMA. Um, so it's not even really a costume, but yes, Ari Souza in a school in like a schoolgirl outfit, but the bottom was, it was like pant. Was it like shorts? It was like weirdly baggy. It, it, it all looked sort of very strange. Yes, it was, it was very strange. Uh, but I thought the match, like after this match was over, I was like, oh, this show rocks because, it was like Sousa had a, some moments of fighting back, but mostly it was just Nagano kicking her ass, which like made sense based on just seeing these two people for the first time. So it worked. And Sousa's comebacks, I thought were pretty good as far as like they were compelling, even though it was clear that Nagano was like bigger, stronger, tougher, um, better than her. It just kind of told a simple story and worked for me. Yeah, and I thought Nagano, I, had, I hadn't watched her one match in Ice Ribbon, so I had never seen her before. I thought she looked really cool in the MMA gear, and I thought that she was really good. I thought that she moved really quick. She was going for submissions. She had that interesting submission. I don't even know what it was where she sort of trapped Sousa's neck um, sort of behind her. It was like a neck crank or something like that. I thought that she looked really cool. She had cool offense with the MMA sort of inspired offense. And... um, 
sort of spoilers for the future, but she only stuck around in stardom for about eight months. So she's, and I think she only had something like five matches or something like that. So she isn't long for stardom, which I'm sort of bummed about because I thought that she looked really good. She was really cool. And I thought that she, you know, could have had a fun future in uh, Joshi wrestling. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I thought she seemed like a potential star for sure. But I guess it didn't work out that way. So speaking of people who didn't last long in Joshi, next up, the eight-year-old monster, Haruka, taking on Passion Naki, which was Natsuki Tayo, who had already wrestled a match earlier. Luckily, she didn't really have to do much here. Uh, they, they worked to a time limit draw. Yes, yeah, a quick, I think it was five it minutes. It was like five minutes. Yeah, five minute time <laughs> yeah. limit draw. I, th- you know, obviously it's an eight-year-old. I think... <laughs> this is not to, it's insane to talk about this yeah, just for the record not to i don't mean to belittle this but i she's eight years old so i feel like the bar for doing wrestling is fairly low for an eight-year-old i mean the bar is fairly low for doing anything for an eight-year-old frankly um <laughs> but i thought she was really good um you know she I don't know if they planned the match out before and they were like, here, we're just going to go out or if they were, you know, doing it on the fly. I don't know either one, but I thought it was well put together. It was fun that they went to a time limit draw. You know, they rang the bell and I was like, whoa, time limit draw. That's cool. Uh, At one point, um, Haruka got mad and just started like punching um, Tayo in the chest. Just like wham, 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 wham. which I really liked. It was sort of a funny, it sort of looked cool, but also was a funny image to see an eight-year-old um, wailing away on someone. So, you know, it was only five minutes. It was a time limit draw. It was, it was for me, it was fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, maybe they laid this out and practiced it a hundred times. I don't know. But it just from watching it, it felt like Haruka like understood pro wrestling. Like she knew when to get mad about things like her little comebacks when Tayo like pushed her over the three times in a row. I thought those were all like compelling. And uh, yeah, I was like, Oh, she's got a, uh, a future in this. Of course she didn't, but it felt like it. Yeah, it felt like it, but eight year olds, you can't depend on an eight year old. So you really can't. This is a great lesson here. Don't build your pro wrestling promotion around eight year olds. Don't build anything around eight year olds. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, next up was the, the match that featured two folks who are still kicking around. Oh, hey. Wow. In stardom. <laughs> <laughs> wow, great segue. <laughs> Woo. And it was Arisa Hoshki defeating Mayu Iwatani with uh, the Brazilian kick. We've seen it a million times now, but this crowd seemed like they had never seen anything like it when she hit the Brazilian kick twice in a row on Mayu. Yeah, and she really got her with the the last one looked really good um, in terms of it really hit her square. Maya went down. Um, but I would like to introduce a segment. Uh, it may only last it o- may only last one show. Uh, and that segment is called What is up with Mayu's pants? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that can last forever because she comes out. She's wearing these blue pants. They're sort of traditional um sort of wrestling pants, I guess you would call them. Um, but one is full length and the other is like a capri pant leg. And why, 
I was just sort of like, hmm, why is that? Maybe I would almost, I could almost see that for Arisa, you know, having one pant leg shorter because she's like, oh, this is the leg I kick with. Um, and I'm going to kick you with this, you know, with my finisher. And so this pant leg needs to be shorter or longer or whatever. It was just very weird to me. Um, that Mayu came out and I was like, why are her pants two different lengths? Very strange. <laughs> She's a weirdo, dude. She's weird as hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it was her call, but maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe Rossi really thought it was going to be a, you know, who knows what goes through the mind of Rossi Ogawa. <laughs> Uh, she's comes... also like, she's also like eighteen or nineteen at this point. So you know, who knows? She had uh, probably not been in in Tokyo that long at this point. I also thought it was funny that Arisa, who would have been what sixteen or so, yeah, when this happened, she looks pretty much like she does now. I mean, she's aged, obviously, but like a pretty similar look to to what she looks like now. Mayu is like, I would have thought she was the one who was like 16. She's got like the little baby, chubby baby face. It's like very cute. And it's like, oh, Mayu has really like, she's just changed a lot since uh, the show. Yeah, it's been nine, it's been nine years. And <laughs> some way, I get what you're saying. It feels like some of it feels very modern. And some of it you look and you're like, well, we'll talk about that in the next match coming up because there's. I guess I guess I'm all about fashion now. We'll talk about that in the next match. Another fashion uh, choice that confused me. But in terms of the match, Buddy, it fashion was a, is an important part of pro wrestling. Fashion is an important part. You are totally right with that. In terms of match, you know, the show started with the amazing tag match, a sort of MMA inspired squash, I guess you would call it, and then an eight year old wrestling a masked wrestler, <laughs> and then the fourth match. This one sort of seemed the most traditional to me in terms of oh it's two rookies who are coming out and they're just gonna sort of have a rookie style match there were a lot of drop kicks and you know there was a forearm sequence where they're you know tough and then they hit the finisher i think the match lasted what eight minutes or something like that um so i don't think it was bad i saw i enjoyed it but after the first three matches that were like wow this is really wild and crazy it was sort of the most oh this is a match and it's sort of the type of match that i've seen before in joshi and would happen a lot with you know two rookies going up against each other i don't know that anything here would have jumped out to me it's like oh both of these people are going to be uh big time stars and and my you for my money like one of the best Joshi wrestlers. I don't, other than the the kicks, the Brazilian kicks at the end, which that's always impressive looking from Arisa. But other than that, I'm not sure anything would have stood out to me about this match. Yeah, I do wonder, and I I was thinking about this as we watched the show. I do wonder if, as we watch the show, um, you know, we're sort of watching it now with nine years of hindsight. At the time, no one knew any of these people. Well, obviously, Nanae and Tayo were already established wrestlers. Um, and Mika was a MMA fighter. But no one knew who would be successful or not. And I just wondered if the fact that I know Mayu becomes so great and Arisa, you know, very good as well. And Yoshiko, what happens with her? If any of that influences the way that even I go into the matches and experience the matches. So it was sort of interesting. I don't know if I went in maybe expecting... 
just sort of subconsciously because I know that these are two talented wrestlers. If I was going in expecting, oh, this is going to be really good. You know, the opening was really good. Maybe this one with these two super talented wrestlers will be good. But at this point, this was their first, you know, this was their debut match. So how much can you really expect from two debuting wrestlers facing off against each other? Yeah, I think it has to influence the way you watch the matches. You know, like I turned on the first. Well, I realized when the first match was 20 plus minutes that it wasn't going to be like a normal rookie match. But still, it had to it played against expectations in that it was just so freaking good. And you're right that the first three matches being different levels of interesting, I think, made the fourth match a struggle. But even I mean, I realized going into it that they were they would have been brand new. But I you just kind of. You look for little things, you know, when you watch people now, you see rookies and it's like, okay, they've got this or that that tells me that they can probably tease that out and become something. And I just didn't see a lot of that from either of these folks here, but I'll be interested to see. I don't know if we're going to keep, you know, going through this promotion and covering these, but this led me to want to just watch this from the beginning and just see what happens, Uh, which it'll be fun to start to see when they start breaking out a little bit and when little things show up that kind of tell you where they're going in the future. Okay, the main event of this show, uh, Yoko Bido versus Yoshiko. And uh, Bido is your winner with a roundhouse kick. Lots of kicks on the show. Lots of kicks. <laughs> yeah, this... I didn't really get go crazy for this either. It kind of... It was slow at the beginning. This is, as I said on the last show, this will be a... A theme for me, but it was slow at the beginning, so it kind of lost me. Uh, I did think it was interesting. I'll just talk fashion since you know you brought it up already. It's like, oh, Yoshiko has just been rocking the uh, the coveralls since her first match, or not her first match, but uh, the first match here in in Stardom. So you love to see it. Yeah, although in this one she's rocking a gold, um, a gold cover gold coveralls which make her sort of look like a flying elvis or something like that which i was a bit (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh go like it's very strange coming knowing everything that obviously happens to her now and now she has sort of the personality of you know sort of like fuck you you know middle fingers up you know dressing in black and you see her here and it's sort of like gold it feels a little bit like you know, I think compared to a lot of other people on this card, she's clearly not in the mold of, you know, models, you know, model slash wrestler. She's sort of a down and dirty fighter, but they sort of put her in this goal. It feels sort of like trying to meet in the middle by saying, oh, well, she's, you know, she's not you know, a model uh, actress type wrestler that maybe we were looking for in JD star, but maybe we'll put her in a gold suit and that'll make her look cool. Like, I just don't know what the thought process behind the gold suit was. It sort of um, threw me off, but I, I was sort of with you. The match didn't do a lot for me. Um, again, two rookies against each other. Uh, the last two matches didn't have a lot to stick out. Um, compared to some of the higher level or more interesting matches on the show. I said a second ago it wasn't her first match, which of course it was. So I just wanted to correct myself. But um, 
I guess that's something else you got to take into account, right? I mean, she's she's working her first match, so you got to think of that. I will say, as far as the gold, according to Cage Match, at least, one of her nicknames is Gold Tiger Number 4, which would explain the four on the back of her of her coveralls uh, or jumpsuit. But it, it, I don't know who Gold Tigers 1 through 3 were, so... <laughs> I, I can't really say where she falls in the in the pantheon of gold tigers. We'll have to research that and we'll come back on the next show. We'll do a deep dive into gold tiger number one through three. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So overall, I thought this was a really cool show. And it's like, if this were 2011, I would absolutely be all in on following this promotion. Oh, yeah, definitely a lot of interesting. I mean, they have a lot of people who are very young, so could all, you know, I guess talking as if we're in 2011, a lot of people near the top of the card who could develop. And obviously that tag match at the beginning was, you know, a, a high bar to begin with in terms of the quality um, of the promotion. But I'm the same. I definitely would have followed a lot of interesting stuff here to see. Um, so I'm right in the same boat with you. And if you, like, reorder this card, if you, like, start the show with Haruka versus Tayo and then do maybe the the last two matches and then your semi-main is the is the Mikanagi, which you could do that earlier, but however you want to do it. But if you close this show with the opening tag match, this show feels even better, I think. Now, I understand why you would do that to kind of say, hey, we're here, you know, like, here's this here's this new promotion and we're going to put on this excellent match from the get go. So I completely understand that. Uh, but it's almost like, because I loved the first two matches so much, it was almost, I was almost disappointed by the end. Yeah. They were so interesting to me that it's sort of, as I said, it felt like, Oh, these are the types of matches I've sort of seen between two rookies and Joshi where you go out and you have some interesting things and maybe some qualities that you can develop, but they're largely just sort of short matches that, you know, in the end don't amount to too much. I mean, they're, neither of them were bad. I didn't think either of them were bad matches, but, you know, compared to the matches lower on the card, they were a little bit less interesting to me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, this, this turned out to be a lot of fun, like talking about this show and uh, going back through how how we got to the first show it might be fun. I have no idea if it's even possible, but to do this with some other promotions, find their first show and kind of talk about how they got there. But maybe that's something we could do. But is is there anything else that's been going on, Taylor, that you would want to talk about? I mean, we really can't. Uh, we usually at this point like to do recommended matches, but there just haven't been a lot of matches to talk about. Uh, my recommended match is the opener of the startup <laughs> show. <laughs> Which is also my recommended match. Uh, go ahead and check that out. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah we don't really not have a lot of matches yeah not no upcoming shows um i would say in terms of upcoming airings follow gato moves youtube they usually um i think they have some more choco pro shows in the pipeline coming up i think i don't know i can't guarantee that um follow the ice ribbon youtube i think that they're doing those dojo shows every week or at least maybe every other week, so follow them. Uh, but yeah, not too much else going on in the world of Joshi. Um, I guess, Aaron, we talked about at the be, or you mentioned at the beginning of the show, we 
you know, we don't have any long-term plans for what we're going to do every week. So if anyone listening to this has feedback, if you like that we covered this stardom show and you want us to do more stardom, let us know. Or if there's something that you have in your mind that you think would be interesting, whether doing a different promotion or covering a certain wrestler um, or a certain time period or something like that. If you have any suggestions, we're very open. If you like this, we're open to doing, you know, covering more stardom shows. So let us know what you think. Yeah, I know one person uh, requested that we do kind of wrestler profiles. So I could imagine, and they were specifically thinking about stardom because that's the promotion they follow. I could imagine us on these shows going forward doing like a few stardom wrestlers at a time maybe and just kind of going through those and then moving on to another promotion, at least while this is going on and there aren't many matches. So maybe that's an idea, but yeah. Any, any ideas you have, reach out to us and we'd be happy to consider them. And if it's something that we're into, we'll do it. We got to come up with content. So if you have those ideas, you can shoot them over to at Audio. You can tweet us there or you can find me or Taylor. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor is at T-A-M-A-I-M-B-O. Uh, subscribe to the show. Rate and review. All that good stuff. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we go, Taylor? No, that's it. I think we covered it all. Okay. Well, a quick show from us, but I hope everyone enjoyed it. I know I had a lot of fun. So we will see you in uh, two weeks from the time that, that this one came out. So see you all later. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.